Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, it is the end of the line for one of the most acclaimed shows on television. I've got a review. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. We both saw that new Nicolas Cage movie. We'll review The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Plus... I also happened to watch a bunch of old Nicolas Cage action movies over the last two weeks. And hey, speaking of action movies, Liam Neeson has yet another one out this week. And yes, his voice is grizzled. But we're going to start with the show for which the end is nigh. It's on Netflix season four, part two, which includes the series finale, is here for Ozark. I'm just sick of having blood on my hands, Wendy. It doesn't bother you. You're so desperate to be the good guy. She's lost her whole family because she met us. Why do you choose everyone else over your family? Don't back out on me when we're almost done. Don't do that to me. Bobby dies. Everything that we work for just falls apart. Welcome to my world. I promise this is a spoiler-free review for Ozark. Actually, not even allowed to talk about the finale anyway. We are under embargo from Netflix until May the 2nd, but we did get sneak peek access to Ozark season four, part two. I watched it, Jeff. Uh, you you watched what, like the first three episodes of the first season, and that's it. Yeah, that was it. Uh, it didn't grab me immediately, so I just dropped it, and I've regretted it every now and then since then. But I have not gone back to catch up. Yeah, no, and that's fair. I'll, I'll touch on season one in a moment. But listen, as far as spoilers go, there's no point in in me giving any. There's no point in getting into. Hard specifics here. I mean, maybe next week uh, we can dive into it a little bit more with a bit more detail because I do have some comments on the finale. But for now, if you know this show, you know what it's about. And if you don't watch it but were thinking of watching it, well, me telling you something specific about season four, part two, won't do you any good until you go back and start season one. So the first half of season four debuted back in January. Now we've got the final seven episodes of this series, which debuted back in 2017. Quick recap of what it's about. Jason Bateman plays Marty Bird. He's a finance guy in Chicago who, at least that's how it starts. And he's involved in some shady business on the side, laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. Something goes bad. He ends up having to move himself and his family to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, when he, where he launders more money for said Mexican drug cartel. He gets mixed up with a local family of low-life criminals, the Langmores, and the local drug lords, the Snells. And it's one continuous series of how's Marty going to get out of this after the other. It is not a happy show. It is dark. It is deadly serious. It is super tense. There is an ever-present feeling of total dread. And it's wonderful. It's just a wonderful drama. Season one was good, but I admit that it could have been better. When I watched it, I thought I, I thought the first episode really grabbed me, but it just overall was kind of slow, and I thought there's real potential here because Bateman as Marty Bird and Laura Linney as his wife were terrific, easily the best part of the show. Their performances are out of this world. Season two, I I thought was just okay, 
But season three was great, and season four has been excellent with a satisfying conclusion. That's all I can really say about the end for now. I thought it was satisfying, although I will point out some might think it was abrupt. Ozark, well, what I mean, what what don't I like about this show? It's got fantastic camera work, just beautiful cinematography. The musical score is so good, emphasizing the never-ending tension tenfold. And it's got a great cast of supporting characters, including Ruth Langmore, the young woman who was the lead Langmore in that family of low-life criminals. She's just become so crucial to everything in this story. And the journey that character has undergone has been remarkable, and the journey of the woman playing Ruth has been remarkable as well. Julia Garner going on to win awards for her performance. She's also the star of another successful show on Netflix called Inventing Anna, which came out a few months ago. The acting overall in this show is just top-notch across the board. Bateman is once again stellar in this back half of season four. His performance in episode four is particularly good, or I guess it would be episode 11. The fourth episode of the second part, or the 11th episode of season four overall, whatever. Uh, Lenny, she's great in everything. I would suggest that maybe she's chewing the scenery in this back end of the series, but I will take a hammy Laura Lenny over no Laura Lenny. And it's also just a great character study of a series, which shows how one guy getting mixed up in crime and doesn't really want anything to do with it anymore, how that can alter the dynamics of a family, and in this case, maybe pull them all down a dark road. Marty, his wife Wendy, and their teenage kids, Charlotte and Jonah. It's just really a fascinating sort of thing to watch as their relationships kind of implode and then come back together and then blow up again, etc. Worth noting, these episodes in the final seven episodes they're a bit long five of the seven are over a touch uh, or a touch over an hour long so it's not necessarily the quickest binge if that's your plan this weekend and given how heavy this show is it's not necessarily the easiest binge i can't speak for anybody else i find heavy shows heavy dark shows i just sometimes need a break and sometimes just can't plow through it in a day like I watched these episodes over the, over the course of I think three or four days but I think this series is definitely worth a watch in spite of the fact that the first two seasons weren't great they were still good and then season three was great and season four was awesome so I'm giving season four part two of Ozark four and a half couch cushions out of five and the series overall I'm going to give that four out of five couch cushions so that again that's new this weekend on Netflix You suggested this life. We, we chose this together. You were a good salesman. Ozark. I will get around to watching that. One day, I really do think I will. Just uh, need a a spot where I want to start a new series to plow through. I did start watching a new series this week over on Prime Video. It's a sci-fi western, I guess, called Outer Range. People have told me that grace is a given thing. But if you seek it, you'll find it. Yeehaw. I wonder if the world's not what you think it is. 
Strange times. What can you do? Outer Range stars Josh Brolin as Royal Abbott, uh, pa- the patriarch of the Abbott family and owner of the Abbott Ranch in Wyoming. The show is set in the current day. Lily Taylor is Cecilia Abbott, Royal's wife. They have a couple of grown sons who live and work on the ranch. One son, Rhett, is also a bull rider. The other son, Perry, has a young daughter and a missing wife. It's been nine months since Perry's wife left. No one's sure what's happened. Everyone tells the Abbots she probably took off on her own accord, but Perry is not willing to accept that. He considers it a missing persons case. Another missing persons case quickly crops up as the terrible jerk neighbors, the Tillersons, get involved. There are three grown boys over there who help their dad with that ranch. The dad is played by Will Patton, which is sort of interesting, but also kind of confusing. I'll explain in a minute. One of the Tillerson boys goes missing. We know what happened. The Tillersons don't. They believe the Abbots had something to do with it. And Will Patton's also trying to take some of the Abbots' land, so that's a squabble that runs throughout the series. There's also this young hippie lady who says she's looking for a place to camp and hopes the Abbots will let her camp on their property. She's played by Imogen Poots, and she also has an ulterior motive. So it's all decent groundwork for a regular drama of the likes of, say, I don't know, Yellowstone. And there are many comparisons to be made, like Will Patton, who also had a recurring role on Yellowstone for several seasons. I just know I am going to confuse the two characters because they have a lot in common in that they are both very underhanded and I can't stand either one. But yeah, there is a definite Yellowstone vibe to all this, as I imagine any and all shows set on a ranch would have. But Taylor Sheridan, who made the show Yellowstone, doesn't own the West. He can't be the only one to set shows there. And there is one giant difference between Yellowstone and Outer Range, and that's where the sci-fi of it all comes in because one day out in his field, Josh Brolin discovers a giant hole in the ground. It's perfectly round. It has wisps of smoke or fog swirling around the top of it, and it seems to have no bottom. He throws something down there and does not hear a thud. It's huge. You could drive a bus into it, and it's just there in his field with no explanation. Brolin doesn't tell anyone, but between that bizarre mystery and then a crime that is committed by one of his sons that he has to help cover up, He starts very quickly in this series to kind of lose it. The show has a deliberate pace. It's sort of slow, but the various storylines do start moving quickly after a couple of episodes. We don't learn what the hole is exactly, but we do learn quite a bit about it by the end of episode two, although it's the sort of thing where it's answers that just beget more questions. But it feels like a show that will move forward fairly quickly. It's an interesting story. The characters are coming along. I really like Josh Brolin, and he's an actor you know, that looks natural in a cowboy hat riding a horse, so it's easy to get on board with that. The scenery, of course, is gorgeous, as you would expect. And I think a major factor into whether this show pans out or not in the end will have to do with the sci-fi aspects of it all. These kind of things can get pretty dumb pretty fast, so the jury is still out in that regard. So far, so good, though, without a range. It's streaming weekly on Prime Video. They're dropping two episodes a week. Four of the eight episodes are already out there. Two more are out this weekend, uh, and I've been enjoying it so far. Can't wait to see where else it goes, Brett. All right, so we've got Ozark in the bag, Outer Range in the bag, and we've got two more shows with the letter O, that's kind of the theme to open this uh, this episode of The Couch Potatoes. We will explain what's coming next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He is Brett. We're talking about some shows with the letter O. And the next up on this list is a new HBO miniseries uh, from the people that brought us The Wire. They're back with more crime and corruption in Baltimore with We Own This City. If I was going to look up one problem cop as a prime example of what's gone wrong here in Baltimore, 
Where would I start? I guess we want to, you know, we want to run a little hypothetical by you. I said we're on an investigation. We found a big-time drug dealer. We, uh, you know, we get wind on where he's keeping his cash. And we actually come upon that cash. It's right there in front of us. We just, you know, we take it. We Own This City began last week, so one episode is out there already. There will be six total. It airs Mondays on HBO and on Crave, and it's categorized as a miniseries, which implies that it'll be six and done. However, of course, we've seen plenty of examples in recent years of shows that intend to do just that, but end up coming back for additional seasons, so we'll see. We Own This City is from David Simon, creator of The Wire, also known as one of the very best TV shows of all time. George Pelicanos, a writer on The Wire, co created this new show and the credits are filled with other familiar names cast members too i spotted a bunch of old wire actors here and then later was surprised to realize they were some i had didn't even recognize because they were very young on the wire they're now in their 40s it's been a while the wire began in the early 2000s like so long ago it wasn't even in widescreen the series also stars a john bernthal Dagma Dominicic, she's Carolina on Succession. Gabrielle Carteris, who was Andrea on Beverly Hills 90210. Josh Charles and a bunch of other that guys and some new faces. There are a lot of similarities between this new show and The Wire, most notably the basic premise, crime and corruption in Baltimore, Maryland. And you got to feel bad for the tourism department in Baltimore because whenever David Simon shines a, a light on his hometown, it is never very flattering at all. This series is about the police department's gun trace task force and the corruption surrounding it in particular. It's based on true events. It appears to be set between 2015 and 2017. There's a lot of talk of the Freddie Gray police brutality case. And one of the new problems facing the city that wasn't a thing during the time of the wire is that the police are arresting fewer criminals out of worry that they'll be targeted for police brutality. So instead of learning to be better cops, a lot of them are just not arrested arresting anyone anymore. And crime, of course, is up. John Bernthal is the main character. He's the leader of the task force, and he is arresting people. He is all about kicking A and taking names. He's a go-getter, but he's also under investigation by internal affairs. And we meet other cops within the force and from nearby county forces, various gun and drug investigations, some of the suspects involved, some of the politicians and lawyers with skin in the game. Like The Wire, it's a huge pot of stew, and it'll soon show us how everything in the pot is connected to each other, I'm sure. I will say it's very complex and confusing, but given the track record of everyone involved, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it seems already like they are aware and trying to sort of help the audience. I won't say it's really hand-holding, but it does seem like there's more obvious exposition than we ever got from The Wire. And again, it's only been one episode so far, so it's hard to judge a show on one episode. So I don't really consider this a full regular kind of review that we like to do for shows. It is all very convincing, though. A lot of great performances. And again, you know, a real treat to see guys like Poot and Slim Charles and others pop up from The Wire. Makes me want to rewatch that show, actually. But for now, I am content to find out what we Own This City will offer, and again, it's on Mondays on HBO and Crave. And our final O-letter show is Our Great National Parks. Wild spaces are where we can connect with ourselves, our families, and something greater than us. This year, we'll all have a chance to experience them up close. Five-episode series that debuted a couple of weeks ago on Netflix in conjunction with Earth Week, hosted by Barack Obama. This is... 
Just a magnificent show, extraordinary footage, in some cases just mind-melting. And uh, I think it was a reminder on how important it is to protect wildlife and wilderness and to make sure that these protected spaces remain protected. It does have the typical climate change messaging, but it's not too heavy-handed because some of these nature shows just really make you feel guilty for being a human being, quite frankly. Uh, Barack Obama, great narrator. He lacks the mischievous tone that Sir David Attenborough has sometimes in all of his shows, but Obama's relaxing yet firm when he needs to be educational. I think it's important for kids to watch, and quite frankly, anyone. You know, it's good to learn about these national parks and why we need more. It's just miraculous. Another fabulous nature documentary that's on Netflix, and it's only five episodes, so it doesn't take too long. In a moment, we're going to tell you about The Insanity. That is the new movie from Nicolas Cage. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Nicolas Cage stars in the most Nicolas Cage movie of his career. It came out last week, and we saw it this week. It's The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Nick, you've been living at the Sunset Tower for over a year. They love having me there. You owe them $600,000. Okay, I'm going to deal with all that, but I'm going to get this next roll. And when I do, all of that changes. Then I'm back. Not that you went anywhere. Nicholas Cage, oh my God, I love you. <laughs> he was so good in The Rock. What about gone in 60 seconds? Have you seen Croods 2? No, I'm 44 years old. Why would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. We got another offer. What's it about? You head to Southern Spain and you attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's a million bucks, Nick. I'll take it. By now, you've probably heard about this movie. It opened last weekend to enthusiastic reviews, but not a lot of box office. And that, for many years, was the opposite reaction Nick Cage saw for his movies. Usually, they weren't terribly highly regarded, but made a lot of money. Even still, as dumb as they are, things like Con Air and Face Off are classics of a sort, the kind of thing we look back fondly on because they're just so much fun. This is also fun. It's also a good deal smarter. Nicolas Cage plays himself, Hollywood actor Nicolas Cage. Now, it's obviously not a straight depiction of himself. Here in the movie, he has an ex-wife and a teenage daughter. In reality, he has four ex-wives and two sons, a fifth wife and another baby on the way. You may remember he named one of his sons Kal-El after Superman. That seemed weird at the time, but then, Brett, we worked with a guy named Jor-El who was named after Superman's father, so <laughs> Nick Cage isn't the only one out there doing that sort of thing. Uh, suffice to say, as much as this movie is about Hollywood actor Nicolas Cage, it's not really about the real guy in every regard, but his career in the movie matches the one in real life. There's all talk of all sorts of his previous films, the aforementioned Con Air and Face Off, as well as The Rock, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, Gone in 60 Seconds, and so on. Funnily enough, his movie Next does not get mentioned. <laughs> it remains among the worst movies I've ever seen. I'm still mad I went to watch that one. My God. Oh, that's great. I oh my God. I can't that movie that movie is over ten years old and you were so mad. You were didn't you like almost get out and get up and walk out? I almost did. I yelled at the screen. I usually don't yell out in movie theaters. I cursed at the screen with people around. It was very unlikely. That's what it brought out of me. What a miserable movie. Um, anyways, there, there are some great visual gags or, or recreations even of some moments from his movies in this movie. Like uh, he 
goes into the pool the same way he does in Leaving Las Vegas. Um, we meet him in Hollywood at the beginning. He's hoping to land the lead part in a movie. He pitches himself to the director. He talks to his agent, played by Neil Patrick Harris, and he's very driven career-wise. Of course, this is to the detriment of his family life. He's been neglecting his daughter, and both she and his ex-wife let him know it. They're played by Lily Mo Sheen and Sharon Horgan, respectively. Mo Sheen is the daughter of Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen, so she knows what it's like to be the kid of movie stars in real life. There's a family drama, and then Neil Patrick Harris hits him with a side of, you need to make some money however you can. Again, something we do believe to be true from Cage's life. I will say this movie doesn't really delve into the specifics of Cage's real-life financial issues, and he explains away the run of terrible movies he's made the la- for many years as just loving to work and not being concerned about mapping out any sort of career goals. He just likes to act, and he doesn't care about leaving a legacy of some amazing IMDb page. It works well in the movie, but you know, about 20 minutes into the film, you do realize that this is not some true soul-bearing display that we're about to see, and that's fine, and it later becomes the point of the movie because it's just so entertaining. The thing he does end up having to do for money, as we heard in the clip, is attend a rich guy's birthday party in Spain. That rich guy is played by Pedro Pascal, and as it turns out, he's a a gun runner or something, and CIA agent Tiffany Haddish forces Cage to spy on him, but they end up becoming friends and things get complicated. The ruse Cage ends up using with Pascal is that he wants him to write a movie together because Pascal's a big movie nerd, which is why he wanted Cage to come up to his party in the first place. So we get to watch them map out a movie while Cage plays Spy. And then, like the Nicolas Cage movie adaptation from 20 years ago, the movie we are literally watching and the movie they are trying to write start to become awfully similar to each other. It's very clever, but this time in an action comedy kind of way, adaptation was, you know, while comedic, much more character-driven and arty in a way. But it's just weird that there are two movies like this, and they're both Nicolas Cage movies. And so the movie plays out from there with a lot of laughs and some frantic action. It's very entertaining again, like I said. Um, Cage, Cage proving again that while he does have that string of embarrassing failures, he is also really a terrific actor when giving good material and he's had a lot of memorable roles after the years. The Over the years, the movie uh, reminds you of that. It's truly a baffling career, but now he has a truly great movie to weirdly showcase it. In the end, it's, it's just very fun on a surface level and kind of mind-blowingly clever on a deeper level. So four couch cushions out of five for the unbearable weight of massive talent. From me, Brett, what say you? Uh, pretty much the same as you, Jeff. I mean, uh, I was excited when I saw that it got terrific reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 87%. Unfortunately, as you pointed out, the box office not so terrific. As of this Thursday afternoon when we're recording this, it's made just shy of $11 million worldwide. So that's not great for a movie with a $30 million budget. Like, there was no way this movie was going to be a smash hit It's kind of a niche movie, but I figured maybe it would do a little bit better. Although the theater that I went to was so quiet. Granted, it was a Monday night and there was some ugly weather outside, but like the entire movie theater, not just our screen, but the whole place was a dead zone, which made me sad, uh, but that's another conversation, the state of uh, movie theaters as a whole. And I'm curious to see what happens next week when Doctor Strange comes out. My goodness, the summer movie season is set to begin. But as far as the Nicolas Cage movie goes, I thought it was terrific fun. I love Nicolas Cage. I've always enjoyed his stuff. He's a great physical actor. He's great at both comedy and drama and action. And here we get it all. And I thought it was just sort of this touching story of a man trying to find his way back 
not just back to his career, but to his family. And in taking this ridiculous invitation to a super fan's birthday party, he goes on the path to finding all of that. I thought it was just self-deprecating enough to not become a caricature of itself or a parody of itself. He pokes tremendous fun at himself. Like, for example, you talked about his financial situation. He uh, is famous for having a propensity to spend outlandish money on ludicrous things. For example, in this movie, like a wax figure of himself as Caster Troy in Face Off. I am so happy that you're here. Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20000 for it. And Pedro Pascal as Javi was also really fun. He kind of hams it up a little bit, but I think that felt like it was just enough to let us all know how much fun he was clearly having in this role. And uh, I also enjoyed some of the commentary and satire on the state of the movie industry. The movie isn't just a vehicle for Cage. It's also sort of mocking Hollywood as a whole, that you can't, you can't just tell a story of two guys from different worlds who come together and become friends and learn to help each other out, you have to throw in a kidnapping, and guns, and a car chase, etc. And in this case, it ends up working as a great action comedy, but also as a satire that's not too heavy-handed with that message. Although there is one scene where they, <laughs> where they basically dump all over Hollywood and its love affair with superheroes. Which is ironic and maybe even tongue-in-cheek, given that Cage almost once played Superman on the big screen. So... I don't know. I thought it was a brave movie for a guy like Nicolas Cage who had such a successful career and then not so successful to take on a role like this, playing a fictionalized version of himself. It just takes gusto, but it's been good seeing him back in the public eye. You know, he's been doing the press tour. He's been doing some late night talk shows for the first time. As he pointed out for the first time in 14 years, and he seemed to be enjoying every second of it. And everyone around him was having a blast uh, sitting. Like he was on Corden with uh, Aaron Paul. And you could tell that Aaron Paul was loving it. And James Corden was loving it. And Jimmy Kimmel very much enjoyed having Nick Cage uh, on his stage. So, you know, Cage has been doing some smaller independent films for a few years now. After all that lineup of straight-to-video garbage that he was doing. Movies like Mandy and Pig. Mandy, one of the movies that is referred to in this new one. But I think it was cool to see him headlining a movie on the big screen again. So I know it's not a huge hit, but I, I just hope it doesn't disappear and gets forgotten about. I really hope this leads to more Nicolas Cage, more success for him, because the world, I think, is a much more entertaining place when he's making movies for us to enjoy. So I'm going to give this four couch cushions out of five. So we are in agreement, Mr. Braun. Right on. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the world is much more entertaining when he's around. And he has had, like you said, Mandy and Pig and now this the last couple of years. So hopefully that's uh, turning some heads in Hollywood and they'll, he'll start getting casted in uh, more and more like bigger movies or better movies than he has been doing for sure. In a moment, I want to give some quick thoughts and some of the aforementioned Nicolas Cage classics. We got to tell you about a new movie from Liam Neeson and a quick thought on Mission Impossible. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I don't even know what to expect here. Jeff tells me there's some not necessarily big news, but exciting news concerning the latest to the next Mission Impossible movie. What have you got for us, Jeff? Well, Brad, right before we started recording, I just saw a tweet go by that uh, mentioned something about Mission Impossible, and I looked into it, and I guess Tom Cruise was at uh, CinemaCon, a trade show in Las Vegas, and he announced the title 
of the next Mission Impossible movie. It's the seventh one. It's coming out July of 2023, and it will be called Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Oh! uh, Yeah, and the eighth movie comes out in June of 2024 and presumably will be Dead Reckoning Part 2 because they did these uh, back-to-back two movies to finish off the glorious uh, Mission Impossible series. Even Tom Cruise, uh, we we think he's ageless, but he's not, so he knows we got (laughs) to pull the pin after eight movies. And so, yeah, so there we go, Dead Reckoning Parts 1 and 2. Well, good for him. Yeah, those uh, the fact that those movies have not gotten worse in quality over the years, that they seem to be getting better and better. As a real testament, I think, to everybody involved in that crew and him. You know, say what you will about his his personal stuff, but, man, he works hard. And uh, he's great in action movies. And you know who else likes to do action movies? Is Liam Neeson. He just released one back in, like, two months ago. He released a movie called Black Light, where he was, you know, being all tough and telling people, you're going to need more men. Well, now he's out with another one that's called Memory. I'm the bad man. have been for a long time. Your shooter's losing his mind. They have to be punished. I want justice. He's taking out the traffickers that we couldn't. You said he wasn't a problem. I know you're not well. We all have to die. What's important is what you do before you go. Memory. (laughs) (laughs) Memory. An assassin for hire finds he's become a target after he refuses to complete a job for a dangerous criminal organization. It's a remake of a 2003 Belgian film, The Memory of a Killer. That seems kind of random and obscure, but I'll have to look into that uh, because if Liam Neeson thinks it's worth doing, why not? It's not getting great reviews, though. Shocker. Want to quickly revisit... Nicolas Cage, because over the last two weeks, I have spent some time watching some of his movies because I recently watched Death on the Nile, which had me thinking about Egypt stuff, and then that got me to watch The Mummy, which is a fun adventure, and then as far as adventure movies go, knowing that this the new Nick Cage movie was coming out, I had Nick Cage on the brain, and I thought, I haven't watched this movie in a long time. All his life... Benjamin Gates has searched for a treasure no one believed existed. Don't you get it, Ben? The treasure is a myth. Dad, I refuse to believe that. National Treasure, back from 2004. Did you ever see the National Treasure movies, Jeff? I saw the first one and did not care for it and did not watch the second one. <laughs> Book of Secrets <laughs> came out in 2007. Look, the, the first National Treasure, I agree, when I watched it, I... I wouldn't say I was underwhelmed, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I had hoped to. Because if you like movies like The Goonies or Indiana Jones or any anything yeah. like that, a movie about treasure hunting is fun. But there was just missing something. And I would agree that it's still, there's just something not there. But it's it was kind of fun to revisit it. Even the sequels, I, the sequel, I rewatched Book of Secrets. And I, I remember when I first watched that, I just flat out did not like it. But I actually enjoyed it more the second time around. They were planning on doing a National Treasure 3, but Disney pulled the plug after some of Nicolas Cage's movies didn't do so well, like The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So they, I think they just washed their hands of him, uh, which is too bad. But there's talk of doing a National Treasure TV series, I think, not with Nicolas Cage, but uh, 
with the uh, his co-star, whose name escapes me, the guy who gets they they, they can't find in the Hangover, their 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 buddy who gets uh, stuck on the roof. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I don't know his name either. Yeah, he's a that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also watched a movie that I had never seen, which is Gone in sixty seconds. Believe it or not, I don't know how I man- never saw that from two thousand, but uh, finally watched that. Not bad. Did you ever see that one? No, I've not seen that one, and I've almost seen that one like 10 times in the last three years, but I just never pulled the trigger, but whatever streaming it's been on, it's like, ooh, I'll add that to my list, and I just never get around to it, so I should watch that sometime, because I like to, uh, when I drive fast, I call it Braun in 60 seconds. (laughs) Do you really? Just to myself. It's a a, a joke that I can't tell anyone because it's too stupid. (laughs) That is great. Um, All these movies, by the way, are on uh, Disney+. And no Nicolas Cage viewing party is complete without this. You sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and f*** the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. Yeah. The Rock, the Michael Bay movie from the mid-90s with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery who have to break into Alcatraz to end a hostage situation. It's the movie that introduced us really to the idea of Nicolas Cage doing action movies. He went on to be very successful in that realm. And it's still my favorite. I just love this movie so much. It gets better. Somehow it gets better every time I watch it. Uh, it's a kind of movie that I can watch at any time. And maybe next week I'll watch Con Air and Face Off. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.